the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast from Our Past podcast, where the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today we have a not-so-Christmassy Christmas episode for you. Really excited about this one. Uh, we are going to talk potentially the greatest Christmas movie ever made, or not a Christmas movie at all, up to people to decide a huge debate. Uh, we are talking the but one thing that well, one thing people cannot debate is how awesome this movie is as an action film. Oh yeah, that is the 1988 film Die Hard. We are going to break that down, and we're going to be doing the sacrilegious thing of recasting Die Hard if they were <laughs> making it today without Bruce Willis and kind of revamping it with a whole new cast. Which actually, I think my cast is pretty fucking baller. I I think mine is too. I, and nice. and uh, I I think I think you're going to be impressed with it. Okay, we shall see. Uh, Taylor Swift as uh, John McClane. Ah, uh, you spoiled it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and to keep the uh, controversial train rolling, uh, we, we are going to be doing a review, not like a full scene by scene breakdown, because thank God, um, <laughs> but we are going to do just an off the cuff review of the 1978 Star Wars Holiday Special. Ooh. Oh, oh my God! And we'll get, we will get more to that. That is a piece of work uh, that I guess can. I think the second that it came out, it was immediately removed from canon. I choose to believe that it is canon, just because I like the idea of B. Arthur and I Jefferson Starship being canon in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. Oh, yes. And we will talk more about that during that review. Um, but for now, you know what I want to do, John? I want to give everybody out there out there a little reminder that we actually have a Patreon. Oh, yeah. I don't know if people know that. Uh, you can get... We actually give exclusive content every month. Uh, and I think we got to figure out what we're going to do in December. <laughs> pretty, pretty quickly. <laughs> this pretty much happens to us every month. Oh, yeah. We yeah. got to put <laughs> new stuff out. Shit. Shit. Get something out there. Um, but... Yeah, we put we put out you know exclusive content, get to know us just a little bit better, um, and you get to decide episodes or be on episodes. Uh, we've had multiple people pick. We've got a couple actually coming up down the line in uh, early January mm-hmm. with that exactly that. So uh, excited to have that going on. So if anybody is curious about how to get more involved or to pick forcibly pick something like uh, Alex Renkamp did for us, he's been wanting us to do Space Camp forever, and he was like, "Fine, fuck it, I'm just gonna <laughs> become a patron, uh, and you guys are gonna have to do Space Camp with me." <laughs> And we so, did. And we did. And I actually, I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. So Minus the robot. My Oh, my God. Minus the robot. And Leaf Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> but you, can, you guys can listen to that episode. Um, and you should if you haven't already. Okay. But today, let's go back to 1988. What a fantastic year, John. Could you bring us back to that wonderful time of year? Yeah, I feel like we've done uh, uh, quite a few movies lately that have been from 1988. Uh, I didn't look on there, but I'm like, God, I keep I keep seeing the same stuff. So I'm pretty sure some of the last few movies we've done have been from uh, 1988. Anyway, this movie, even though it uh, is definitely a Christmas movie, was released in July, at least July 20th of 1988. <laughs> really? Really. The uh, Billboard Top 100 uh, single of that week uh, is a great power ballad called "The Flame" by Cheap Trick. Remember. 
I don't know it off the top of my head, but I'm excited to listen to it. I listened to it right before we started rolling, and I recognized it. I don't I don't think I could like repeat it back to you, but I definitely, once I got to the chorus, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I definitely remember the song. Mm-hmm. Uh, Topping the Nielsen ratings, a little bit of a change up for the 80s. Finally, we get the Golden Girls topping that week. Oh, my God. We've... I'm, We've talked about we're gonna get that on that episode eventually. Yep. Um, we just can't find Cocoon. That's the problem. There's no it, like we're gonna do Cocoon and Golden Girls, which is perfect. Like old people yeah. out the yin yang. But Cocoon is only available if you buy the DVD. Yeah. Like it's nowhere else. You can't even rent it on Amazon uh, or anything. So that's kind of ridiculous. It is. I'm currently right now binging Golden Girls. I did a little bit. Yeah. It's my it's my go to back like background show right now. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to talk about it is all I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, The New York Times bestseller of that week is a book called Alaska by James Michener. Um, okay. This very day, well, not today, but July 20th, the date we're talking about, uh, Capcom released a game for NES called Bionic Commando. Oh, I've seen the pictures of Bionic Commando. I never played it, but I have definitely have seen the, uh, the cover. Yeah. Uh, I didn't recognize it, so obviously I didn't play it. Mm-hmm. Um, and my one last little thing about... Uh, 1988. I don't know if I had. I this. I, this feels like something I've said before, mm-hmm. but we've done enough episodes that I've forgotten. So whatever, I'm gonna say it again. It was not until 1988 that Wrigley Field got lights. Wow, 88. So they everything was a day game. Everything was a day game. Even though the first night game uh, played was sometime in the mid to late 30s, Wrigley Field did not get lights until 1988. Okay, and that was 1988. All right, with that bit of knowledge past us, uh, let's uh, yippee-ki-yay our way into Die Hard. Die Hard from 1988, directed by John McTiernan. He is a fantastic action director. Uh, One of the other best action movies of all time, Predator. He directed. You can hear us talking Predator with our friend Ken Johnson, our friend and patron mm-hmm. Ken Johnson, who's I can guarantee is probably listening to this episode. <laughs> I can. Yeah, he can. <laughs> He's been on a couple episodes with us here, but we also have guested a couple times over on his podcast called "You Call Those Tactics," uh, which is fun because he is a military guy, uh, and so he can just like blast tactics from other movies and just making fun of them. So anyway, John McTiernan uh, directed that movie. He also directed Last Action Hero, Basic. Die Hard with a Vengeance, so the third one in this one, not the second. This movie, which I always forget, is based on a 1979 novel called Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Thorpe. Huh. Yeah. Not aware of that. No, you just, I don't see this movie and think novel. <laughs> New York Times bestseller. Right. Like, I don't, it just doesn't come to my, my mind. But, you know, I, it does make me curious to, to potentially read that, but I know I won't. Yeah. I can't read. <laughs> so, uh, this film was in part produced by Joel Silver, and here is just a tiny bit of the amazing things that Joel Silver has produced. 48 Hours, Commando, Lethal Weapon, Predator, Demolition Man, Matrix, V for Vendetta, uh, Sherlock Holmes, Rock and Rolla, and so much more. He is um, bombs, an amazing- all of them bombs. Yeah, terrible. So he's a very, very rich man. <laughs> uh, and music is done by Michael Caine. Oh, no. Michael Kame. Michael Kane. Michael Kame. Uh, I don't care that Michael Kame. That's gross. Um, <laughs> I said Kane. <laughs> and I said Kame. That's uh, Kame in. That's, that's, I misspelled it on my notes. So I was like, it's not Kame. It's Kame in. Okay. All right. Uh, as I 
almost said correctly, kind of, uh, music by Michael Kamen. He did the music for the X-Men movie in 2000. He did Iron huh. Giant, Mr. Holland's Opus, Don Juan DeMarco, uh, Roadhouse, Lethal Weapon, Highlander, just lots of stuff. Roadhouse. So. Uh, the cast for this film, I'm not going to talk too much about other things they've done for some of these, uh, particularly our two main, like John McClane, it's Bruce Willis, people. You know Bruce Willis. Uh, Hans Bruno. Gruber. Yeah. Bru- what'd you say? Bruno? Bruno. That's what he goes by. That's right. It didn't, wasn't it the name of like one of his albums? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, Hans Gruber. It's Alan fucking Rickman. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the interesting things here. This was Alan Rickman's first theatrical film yeah. that he ever worked on. He, he worked on all TV shows and some like TV movies. So it wasn't his first feature length, but it was his first theatrical, mm-hmm. which is goddamn impressive. It, Sergeant Al. Mm-hmm. I, it just makes me think like if we'd been able to get him on movies sooner, like what other cool parts could we yeah. could have had? However, that being said, it might have changed the outcome of things. And I, I don't think I can't think of a better role to start out your theatrical career with than Hans Gruber. So I'll take it. One of the greatest villains in cinema history. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Uh, Sergeant Al Powell is played by Reginald Vell Johnson, uh, who didn't we lose a cut just a couple years back? I think. No, I think he's still here. I'm thinking of James Avery, You're- another sitcom dad, uh, of course. Let me confirm. Yeah, he's still here. James Avery's still here? No, no, no. Oh, no, no. Reginald Val Johnson. Reginald Val Johnson. I know yeah, this yeah. because earlier this summer, I saw him on a video that was a, it was like a, a, a reunion of the Family Matters cast. Okay, yeah. So he was the dad in Family Matters. Who always plays a cop. Uh, yeah, always. it does. <laughs> I just, I guess I got him a little confused with uh, James Avery from um, Fresh Prince, Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah. Two of the best sitcom dads, honestly. Oh, God, yeah. Uncle, I will say Uncle Phil might be my favorite sitcom dad of all time. I mean, he's he's the one you want in a pinch. Yeah. I mean, um, all right, I guess that we're going to start talking about uh, uh, Fresh Prince too and, much. And, uh, but, but I would say also um, Reginald Val Johnson and Family Matters were pretty awesome. He was very not patient, but also very patient with having to deal with Urkel so damn much. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then he went to space with Urkel, and it got really fucking weird. Yeah, um, something like that, or got they they shrunk or some weird shit. Doesn't matter. Um, that show jumped the shark for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Holly Gennaro is played by Bonnie Bedelia. Uh, this is she was also in the second one. She was in the show Parenthood, which was a very popular show. She was mm-hmm. over a hundred episodes. She was in eighty eight episodes of a show called The Division, which I didn't really watch. She was also in Bonanza, really way back in like. 1969 and another episode in 72 was but she there are two kid? different characters uh she was no 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 she was at that point she was 20 something i think she was 20 21 because her first role that she ever had was in back in 1958 when she was 10 years old wow so she has been acting for a long time i mean that's um, practically hollywood royalty at that point that yeah it's insane so she was right around 40 when she played holly Gennaro, but like jumping in at 58 being on a show like bonanza just Incredible. Mm-hmm. Theo is played by Clarence Gilliard Jr. We talked about him when we talked Walker, Texas Ranger. We talked about him when we talked Top Gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't talked to Matlock, but he was also on Matlock. Um, you mentioned he uh, has an acting school or something like that. Or he teaches he, acting at UNLV, yes, right? Yes, he does. He's, uh, he's, uh, cool. he's one of the teachers at UNLV. Actually, I have awesome. a former student who is his student. And actually, you've heard her voice every time uh, you listen to any podcast from the beef up network uh shout out to uh veronica for who did hey. our um blast from our past promo little tag that yeah. we do at the beginning the of blast everyone. from our past network yep 
Uh, you also hear her, hear her a little extra on this one because she says, this episode is not brought to you by... She, that's the same voice. Yep, it's the same girl. <laughs> Very cool. And uh, Dwayne Robinson is play, played by Paul Gleason. I just want to call him out mm-hmm. because he was um, assistant principal Vernon in Breakfast Club. He was um, uh, Clarence Beeks in Trading Places. So he's fun. And then the last person I'm going to mention is, uh, or for now, is Thornburg, who is the asshole journalist. Uh, played by William Atherton, who most people, and myself included, recognize as the asshole guy in Ghostbusters. Plays a lot of assholes. Yeah. <laughs> and well. He's a great asshole, that guy. Yep. <laughs> All right. Let's get started on this breakdown, because I think it's going to take a while, because it's fucking diehard, and it's going to be hard <laughs> not to talk about it uh, in depth. So, we start off with a plane. It's landing in Los Angeles. John McClane, he seems a little nervous. Uh, he gets some advice uh, by this other guy on the plane to uh, you know walk around wherever he's getting to barefoot and then start making fists with your toes and it's just kind of a weird piece of advice seems arbitrary but this is going to come back mm-hmm. all right we then uh, see Takagi and there's a rather expensive but awesome looking Christmas party awesome uh, you know office Christmas party happening for the Nakatomi Corporation uh, we also meet Holly and Ellis, and we find out that Holly is separated. She's the separated wife of John McClane, who we just saw on the plane. John McClane on the plane. Man, that would have been that would better than snakes on a plane. McClane on a plane. Damn, that should be Die Hard. Die Hard 93, McClane on a plane. Wasn't that Die Hard 2? Uh, yeah, it kind of was, wasn't it? <laughs> well, there's like pretty, wasn't, wasn't that pretty much the plot of Die Hard 2? Pretty much. We also we also see she flips down this picture because she's kind of, you know, upset she hasn't heard from him or anything. If he's mm-hmm. coming, she flips down a picture of John in her office, and that will come back later as well. A lot of good plants in this Oh, my movie. God. Yes, the writing. I mean, maybe maybe it's because they had this book. Tell, but I, don't, I doubt they had all of those kind of details yeah. in the book. But you're right. Like, it, they are, there are some good setups that, like, we will get payoffs. Like, I, even some of them even a couple times, so... John meets his limo driver Argyle, uh, who's a child. He looks he yeah. <laughs> looks uh, fifteen. So speaking uh, of which, he's played by an mm-hmm. actor named Devro White, and mm-hmm. we've talked about him before, Adam. We have. We have. He was the little boy who tried to steal the guitar from Ray Charles in the Blues Brothers. No, no fucking way. Yes, he was. Oh, that's awesome. Holy shit! Because I even like looked at him on on IMDb just to be like, all right, what are your other credits? I didn't really, I just glanced, uh-huh. and I didn't really notice anything, and I was like, okay, I'm not gonna bring you up, but that is awesome. Yep, man, the one that Ray, a blind Ray Charles shoots at. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So they chat. You know, we just kind of get some exposition here as they're kind of talking we kind of we kind of get a little idea of who John is. He's this no nonsense, no nonsense New York cop kind of a guy. I do like Argyle plays some music. Uh, it's Christmas music and a little fun little dialogue where, you know, McLean's like, you know, I thought you were going to play Christmas music. It's like, this is Christmas music. And it's uh, Christmas and Hollis by Run DMC. <laughs> Not like a traditional, but what is traditional? Who cares? It's fucking Die Hard is not a traditional Christmas movie, but some people watch it every year, mm-hmm. so it works. 
they pull up to the Nakatomi Plaza, which of course, well, I say of course, but maybe some people don't know this very famously is the Fox Plaza in Los Angeles, actually Century City mm. to be exact. Um, I have had some friends who work there. I've actually never even been there or whatnot. Did they um, refer to it as Nakatomi Plaza? No, I mean, every, everybody in like LA knows it's Nakatomi Plaza, but it's the Fox. It's actually the Fox building. Oh. Um, but I mean, if I if I was ever around there or ever worked in there, I would constantly be saying Nakatomi, <laughs> Nakatomi, Nakatomi. Uh, all right. So John goes in to find her in the building, only to realize while searching, you know, on this like touchscreen thing to find her name, she has gone back to her maiden name. John, did you notice the fuck up? Uh, I did not. You did not. Okay. So I did. And actually, I need to double check the the credits to see if this fuck up happens later in the credits, because um, I think it does. So when he looks up her name, her name is Holly Gennaro, and it's spelled G-E-N-N-A-R-O. Mm-hmm. He touches it to like find out where her office was. The second he touches it, it changes color. Basically, it inverts its color, and her name changes to a spelling of G-E-N-N-E-R-O. <laughs> they kept fucking up the spelling of Holly Gennaro's name. It was going for it went from A R O to E R O. In the credits of IMDb, it's A R O, which leads me to believe that the that the end credits because IMDb usually sticks exactly to the end credits, uh-huh. and so the end credits has A R O, and then later we're gonna see her standing next to her own office door, which is. ERO. So it's ARO at one point on the touchscreen, and then it switches to ERO, and then it's ERO on her door, but then it goes to ARO in the credits. Wow. What the fuck? <laughs> they, could, they could not figure that out. <laughs> Some script supervisor uh, fucked up. Yeah, big time. Or a props or guy. Pro- pro- exactly, or a props guy or something. Um, all right, so uh, John McClane heads to the party. He meets Takagi, who is the, the head boss of... Um, of the Nakatomi Corporation uh, here, at least in the the U.S. branch, who Nakatomi takes him into Holly's office. Uh, Ellis, Ellis is going to Ellis, man. And (laughs) in that office, he's doing coke off of Holly's desk. Mm -hmm. Why her desk? I don't know. Um, We should mention um, that Ellis is played by Hart. Bachner, Bachner, really not sure how. Uh, yeah, Hart, Hart, yeah, Bachner is how I would pronounce it. Bachner, uh, who we talked about before in mm-hmm. one of the just single greatest movies we've ever talked about um, on Beef Up. <laughs> That's a lot. The, the sarcasm is just oozing. Yeah, it's dripping. And if you guys want to hear some bitching, <laughs> go back and listen to us talking uh, Supergirl, uh-huh. the <laughs> movie. Yeah, Supergirl, the movie. He plays Ethan in that one. And actually, he apparently does not talk about that movie. And I know this uh-huh. because our buddy Corey over at Podcasting After Dark, him and Zach actually interviewed mm. him, which is a great <laughs> interview. You should go listen to that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. So Holly eventually comes in and she's happy, but it's also kind of awkward because, you know, things are strained with between her and John. Ellis mentions this watch. Like, uh, you know, oh, my God, hey, here's this. Tell him about the watch. He goes, like, tell him about the watch. <laughs> it's the like, weirdest. The fuck, Ellis? It's the weirdest, exactly. like, dip, dick flop I've ever seen. Exactly. He's like, it's a Rolex. <laughs> and guess what, John? That will come back later. Yeah. Holy shit. Like, these, it's so, the rewatchability on this movie already. It's getting me excited to talk about this shit later down, <laughs> down the line, because they've planted it so perfectly. Yeah. All right. 
John and Holly kind of talk in her office. Uh, they miss each other, but John's an ass. <laughs> he has to. He has to say so. He cannot help himself. Yeah. Um, from saying. I guess you didn't miss my name, though. Huh? Except maybe when you're signing checks. Like then, of course, they end up bickering. She has to leave to give a, you know, to give a speech to rally the troops. And he even realizes he was an idiot. And he kind of just talks to himself like, why the fuck did I do that? Um, and that's what is interesting about this character is that, you know, he's he's not a he's not an Arnold. And I think mm-hmm. that is something that is super important to this film. And it kind of started, I think, the direction of the. Um, action hero from the big beefy eighties beefcake to the everyman, and Die Hard really led that path because John is flawed. He's not he's not perfect like you know like Duchess and Predator or um, or Commando you know for example or Stallone and Rambo two kind of thing. This guy John McClane is not perfect. He is a regular dude. Yes, he's a cop, so he's he's more trained, but he is something that like every regular dude can attain. And he's got these flaws that just like every other guy has. And I think that's so important for the relationship that the viewer has with this character that they connect they connect to him way more than just idolize him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. Um, all right. So meanwhile, uh, we see a truck is uh, pulling up to Nakatomi. He's got some menacing music. So, you know, some shit's about to go <laughs> down. Uh, two guys who we come to know later as Theo and Carl come in and immediately kill the doorman. They come in so smooth. Yeah. I really like everything about Hans Gruber's operation and this team's operation is just flawless at the start. Yeah. Love it. Like they they feel rehearsed. They know what they're mm-hmm. doing. They're in control at all at all times, you know, and, yeah. until. Yeah. Until John starts fucking things up. Until but even, John starts fucking everything up. But even then, Hans starts just doling out the, you know, the orders and it still seems like he is in total control. Yeah. Like he's thought of. of Almost every contingency. Yeah. We see Theo pops in immediately. He's the hacker guy. And guys kind of fall into their roles pretty quickly. <laughs> we have Hans, obviously the leader. Uh, Carl is the the big angry muscle. And Theo is the hacker. And then everyone else is just kind of a goon. Mm-hmm. Then in comes Hans. We That's where we first see Hans kind of walking with everybody else, kind of going into the, um, to the building as well. I know it's kind of a small thing. But I like that he walked out of the back of the truck with everybody else oh. and, like, wasn't in his own vehicle or he wasn't in the front. Mm-hmm. Like, he was literally in the back of the truck with everybody else and wasn't even in the front. Like, he was kind of, like, in the yeah. middle. And Yeah, I mean, he is, without question, the brains and the leader and everyone listens to him. Yeah. You know, you he says something and you better fucking do it or the plan isn't going to work and you're, and you're gone. I mean, I'd, I'd follow him. Oh, my God, yes. Dude is is yeah. He's got shit down to a T. If only that fucking John McClane wasn't. There. I'm telling this you, thing. if John was not there, this would have been the most uh, insanely well executed heist. That yeah, we're gonna seen. get yes. I know. Well, it's not all. It doesn't take all that long to get there. But right now, they look like they're fucking terrorists. Yep. and they're like acting very terroristy. All part of the plan, John. <laughs> so, all right, uh, we see McClane doing the toe thing with his fists. Oh, yes. So he's actually following through. Okay. And he's like, oh, shit, this actually works. And guess what? That's still going to come back. I mean, it's <laughs> it was set up with the uh, set up on the airplane. Uh, we get a reinforcement here. And then there's going to be more like intense payoff later mm-hmm. with him 
just not having his shoes on right now. Then Carl cuts the phones while John is trying to call Argyle at this time. We're talking to Argyle. And so things are starting to get a little shady. Uh, The terrorists, quote unquote, enter the party and there's gunfire. John immediately goes into cop mode Mm -hmm. immediately. He escapes via this emergency stairway or by a stairway. And he goes up to a floor that's kind of mostly construction. All right, that's it for now. We cut over to Hans Gruber. He's looking for Takagi. As I already mentioned earlier, one of the greatest villains, and part of it is his be- because he's so cold, he's so calculating, and he seems so in control at all times. One of the things I think that's important with this scene is he's asking for him by basically reciting his entire life. Mm-hmm. Just talking about, like, went to this school, graduated at this age, had this GPA, all this kind of things. And this further tells us about Hans that he's intelligent, he's focused, and he's prepared as shit as a villain. This tells me he actually knew who Takagi was. I think Mm -hmm. he was giving Takagi every opportunity to actually come forward instead of singling him out. Yeah. I think he was trying to kind of guilt him maybe a little bit into doing that because with that being prepared, even this being pre-internet days, to know that much about a person, there's no way he didn't come across a photo. Yeah, that's a good point. I think and, and he, re- I, they- I think he knew who he was, and he was just kind of baiting him out, mm-hmm. maybe to see what kind of man he is. I think that makes him even cooler because he exactly he's he's kind of, I mean, he doesn't toy with his prey all that much, mm-hmm. but maybe just a little bit, and then he's gonna move forward. And that's maybe that's what he was doing here because he likes to he likes to show people he's smarter than them, <laughs> and I think maybe that's what he's kind of doing right now. Yeah. All right, so they take Takagi. Uh, to an office to try and get some info out of him to get this code to open a vault. And here we find out they're not terrorists at all, John. They're thieves. Mm -hmm. They're doing a heist because there are $640 million in bearer bonds in their vault. And, you know, whenever I see some some movie or something where they're they're doing some big elaborate heist – in my head, I'm like, well, how much money did you have to spend to get, like, all this stuff together, and is it really going to be worth it? Yeah. And you know what? Six hundred million, especially for 1988, which is just over a billion today. I looked it up. Uh, uh, oh, awesome! The, that does seem like a lot because I mean, <laughs> what did he say? Like, there's twelve guys, something you know, like that. Yeah. Something like that. Six hundred million divided by twelve. That's still a that's a pretty awesome payout. Big time. Um, and I w- even wouldn't have uh, taken it past Hans to find a way to screw everyone else out, <laughs> and he, you know take a flight down to Sewataneo and he's just got a billion dollars <laughs> uh, see, hanging out with Andy Dufresne. I don't think that. I I, you don't think, I so? think if you're in his circle mm. of trust, as it were, I think you're in. Now, I, you know I think if you do anything yeah. to betray, betray that trust, you're going to fucking regret <laughs> it later. Yeah, he does He does seem trustworthy as a leader. Mm. He is, if, if I had, to, if he was my manager... I would I would stay late for him every now and then, you know. Yeah. I would uh, I I'd follow his lead because he I you know what? Fair enough. I I'd, I'd agree with that because he doesn't seem to fuck over anybody of his guys, and he's not like sending people out to die for John to just kill John McClane and sending him in waves or whatnot. There, you know, he's trying to stay calculated. Yeah. And make his shit happen and he knows you know what needs to do that so yeah fair enough well, okay. and i think he knows he needs his people to mm-hmm. pull off this heist because yeah if if he he wouldn't have brought extra guys i don't feel because that would have been a waste you know yeah. he's, he would have brought the people he need to needs to get the job done i mean why else would you bring al leong along uh, except for <laughs> to get shit done and fuck shit up and, and he does that so well oh i mean he's not even in this He's in like oh, he's know, only in like a couple scenes, shots. yeah, exactly. But 
just seeing him makes me so happy. Oh yeah. Well, you you instantly know who he is. You see him, you're like, yeah. oh god, I recognize him in half a dozen you know other movies. Even if you don't, even if he doesn't talk, you're like, oh, yeah. I totally recognize that guy. Exactly. He will hench for food, as we established back at the end of uh, uh, Double Dragon. So maybe his character, <laughs> maybe Hans Gruber was driving to Nakatomi Plaza, and uh, you know they found him on the side of the road, will hench for food, and they just picked him up. That's probably what happened, John, because that they were both set in Los Angeles. I That's think. true. Also, wasn't uh, um, uh, Big Trouble in Little China set in Los Angeles? Uh, e- either L.A. or San Fran. San Fran's. I oh, can't maybe remember. it was San, San Fran. Fran's. It was San Fran, I think. Yeah, I think so. Okay, never mind. Which has the the more established Chinatown? Yes, is San Francisco. So, um, okay, Takagi doesn't give them the code, and so they kill him. But I do love Carl and Theo are kind of talking on the side where they have a little side bet on if. Takagi would actually give Hans yeah. the code or not. <laughs> yeah. And and like Carl obviously believes in Hans's um, you know, debating skills to try and get it out of him. And Theo is like, no, man, it's not he's not gonna give it. And so at the when they kills him, Carl just kind of hands over like a hundred dollar bill or something. See, the funny thing <laughs> is, is I didn't notice them talking, but uh-huh. for the first time, and I don't know why I never noticed this before, I did notice the money exchange. Which to mm-hmm. me was still just as funny because it told you everything you needed to know, even if you missed yep. the part about them talking. You, you're like, oh, obviously they had a bet as to who was gonna, <laughs> if it, whether or not he was gonna give it over. Yeah, it's quite nice. Uh, again, just great, lo- great lines, great dialogue, great everything. Mm. Spoiler alert. Uh, okay, so John did make his way right outside, and he saw the death of Takagi. But they kind of hear him as he's trying to back away, and so now they're kind of suspicious, but they have to head out to keep things going with their plan. John says to himself, Argyle, tell me you heard the shots, and you're calling the police right now. Argyle, tell me you you heard those shots, because of all the different gunshots that he had. Yeah. Now, Argyle's in the fucking basement garage. <laughs> they are 30 floors up, and as of now, no windows have been broken. I'm like... There's no fucking way, even if Argyle didn't have his music blaring, that he would be able to hear those gunshots. He could have been standing outside the car, walking around the car park, and he still wouldn't have heard those. Yeah, no fucking way. So I thought that was a bit strange. But they kind of, you know, just cut to Argyle, who's blasting music. But still, yeah, that was, (laughs) I was like, eh, I don't think so. (laughs) So apparently for uh, Hans and them to get into this vault, there are seven locks. Theo feels he can get through the first six, but the last one is a magnetic seal that there's no way he can handle. Hans will take care of it. Okay, we'll figure that out later. John pulls a fire alarm uh, on floor 32, and so he's trying to get the attention of police or fire or whatnot, Um, but this group is too smart. They have all this shit kind of planned out. They have a guy who is set into the front of the building, uh, and so they make a call and be like, oh, no, this is BS, and so John sees the fire trucks turn and Mm -hmm. go away. Um, so it's nothing. Uh, a henchman was sent to look for whoever pulled that fire alarm. And so after a little fight, Tony, who is the guy that they sent, uh, accidentally dies as when they fall down the stairs and his n- neck snaps and whatnot. So uh, John. His name was Tony? Yeah. I look. Isn't that stupid? <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that Carl's brother? Yeah. Carl the German. His brother's name is Tony? At least according to Wikipedia, Carl and his brother Tony. Okay, that seems weird because Carl is obviously German because he speaks German, doesn't he? Yeah, he said he even says "Mein Bruder," and that's how you that's how <laughs> me, us us German speaking people <laughs> realized that before other people did because when Carl was cutting the the phone lines, it was he said "Hallo Bruder" or something like that, yeah. 
And so I was like, oh, which means brother. And so like, I know this shit. I always kind of felt a little special with Die Hard because I know some German. And so I picked out some of that shit that other people didn't. Just is Tony a common German name? <laughs> no, it's Italian <laughs> from Anthony. It doesn't make any sense why his name would be. Is there Tony. like a German equivalent of, of Anthony or Antonio or something? Not that I know. I mean, of, I, they, I mean, it, it, you know, Italy's right there. So. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, there's even a guy named Fritz, but Fritz is a different person. It's not his brother. Isn't that weird? That, that's the that's the that's the one that's the one BS I'm gonna call on this movie is just the naming of Tony. Yeah, I mean, okay, yeah, you go on, go on. I just Googled Die Hard Tony, and the die and the picture that pops up is definitely the the brother. So that's fucking that's it. That's a that's a poor naming choice. I agree with you on that. One. Okay. All right, so Tony, uh, he died. He, his, nep, his ne- neck got snapped. So John takes a, ba- uh, a bag off of him as well as his weapon. Um, he tries to take his shoes, but they're too small, apparently. Hold on. Uh, I am going to uh, nerd out on something that you're just going to laugh at me for because you do every time uh-huh. I mention something like this. About shoes? Uh, no, about his gun. Oh, <laughs> it's just like a little submachine gun yeah, or something. Yeah, well, it's, it? it's, a very, it's a very classic a uh, submachine gun called the uh, the MP5, I believe, by H and K. Oh yeah, I've heard. It. Yeah, and I've what he does is something. It's it's called it's it's called the HK. I think it's called the HK slap. The charging handle uh, for the thing is towards the front, where you pull back the thing to chamber around. And mm-hmm. when it comes back, in order to reset it, you kind of slap it in order uh-huh. to get. And so he does that as uh, as Tony, which all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move on from that. <laughs> as Tony, hello, I said Tony, hello, Tony. As Tony walks into the room, he, he's talking to the person who he doesn't know who it is yet, and he does the HK slap, and that made me smile. Okay. So, sorry, it's a little little nerdy gun thing that I, I, I liked, but they, they, they put it in there. I think I did the HK slap to my wife last night. <laughs> is that why you were all bruised? Yeah, she hit me pretty hard. <laughs> Sorry, I mean no, that's cute. I I had no idea. I've seen. I feel like I've seen people do that in movies, but I thought it was just like a stupid. Probably because it's it's very common with that particular firearm, and you see that firearm everywhere in every '80s movie, every '90s movie. Mm-hmm. You can still see it today. Like, it's a very prolific uh, firearm. All right. So, but Tony, tall man, tiny shoes. You know what that <laughs> means. <laughs> anyway, um, so again, John still doesn't have any shoes on. I feel like he could have squeezed in there, but whatever. <laughs> All right, John leaves a message written on Tony's sweatshirt, uh, put him in the elevator. Uh, Tony's dead in a chair with the message, now I have a machine gun, ho, ho, ho. I always wondered what the purpose of this was. Would it not have been better to hide the body and prolong them finding out that he was there? Mm. That would make some sense, unless he feels just trying to get in their heads. Yeah is a better method, but I feel, yeah. That- well, I mean, he is the trained professional. He is the cop. Yeah, I mean, if it were, if I- it were me, I, well, if it were me, I'd be dead already, but uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't have but, made I mean, it out I, of too, I would want them to think Tony's still looking for me for as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And if they called him on the walk, he go, hello, ich heiße Tony. <laughs> ich liebe Stromboli. <laughs> Which is Italian, but his name's Tony. So I'm, I'm hilarious, John. <laughs> Let's move on. Okay. Und Rigatoni. Because <laughs> his name's Tony. Rigatoni. It's Italian. All right. Fuck it. All right. So John goes to the roof of the building. Um, he's using his walkie to uh, that he got off of Tony's body to try and reach anyone. Try to use an emergency line, whatever, to get something. Uh, and we get this absolutely f- amazing 
bit of dialogue here where a cop is like, Attention, whoever you are, this channel is reserved for emergency calls only. And McLean responds, No fucking shit, lady! Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? No shit, lady! Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? Like, <laughs> duh! Like, Jesus Christ. Like, I feel like everyone in Los Angeles was just taking, even on Christmas and Christmas Eve, murders happen. Yeah. <laughs> shit happens. Like, I feel like, you know... They're all just kind of like passing it off, but that's the whole point. I feel like if it if it really was a an emergency, the cop would have been understanding about it. Mm-hmm. Also, when she heard the gunfire, she was still yeah. fucking dismissive. Yeah, she was like, uh, "Let's send one black and white," <laughs> and it's like you just heard obviously some kind of distressing sound. Yes, and like, <laughs> not only gunfire, automatic gunfire. Yeah, I mean something so. serious is going down. Yeah, but no, all you need is one Sergeant Al Pal to fix all the the, uh, automatic gunfire. So we meet him who's buying food for his pregnant wife, probably some snacks for himself, too, (laughs) uh, at a nearby convenience store. Now, I've not had a pregnant wife, but you have. Mm -hmm. When you've had to go out and buy food for uh, your wife, did you, you know, you had to get, you got some stuff for yourself, too, right? Um, Probably. Yeah. Probably. You know, it only happened. It's been a while. It, it's been a while. My wife only had me like run out a few times. The one time I remember having to run out was it was like I don't know nine nine thirty, and we were kind of already ready, like wrapping up to go to bed. And mm-hmm. she goes, "I want creme brulee." I'm like, oh, good choice. Okay, it's nine thirty <laughs> at night, and she's like, "I'm not leaving this bed, but I want creme brulee." <laughs> Luckily, I had a a friend who was a former instructor from when I went to culinary school who owned a restaurant just down the street from us who served creme brulee. I drove down there. He was there. I, I, I politely asked, I said, is there any way you could get me a creme brulee to go? Since he knew me, he actually let me take the actual dish oh, and nice. bring it back. So okay. I, I, cool. I took it home, gave it to her, and then the next morning I washed it out and gave it back to them. That is nice. Uh, did your wife have any weird cravings that you remember? Kinda. Well, she she had like she had weird cravings in that she craved things that she hadn't really craved before. Um, I know with our son, she craved rice like crazy. She kind of had. You know, there's the whole sort of like pickles and ice cream. Yeah, thing. I've heard people. She kind of had that, but it wasn't like pickles per se. But it was pickled flavored Pringles. Okay. And she did actually break them up into her ice cream once. And said it was fine. Right. Uh, but the weirder thing to me was when my daughter, when she was pregnant with our daughter, she craved coffee. And up to that point, I had never seen her drink coffee. Mm. And so now she drinks coffee regularly, which she had never done <laughs> until she craved it when, when she was pregnant with her daughter. Huh. That is particularly interesting. Uh, all right. So I will say that the the uh, the lady who calls uh, Sergeant Al Powell, uh, she mentions it's a code two. Mm-hmm. I looked up what code two meant in police speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's here's a little breakdown of like codes one through four. Code one basically means she said code two at Nakatomi Plaza. Uh, code one is do so at your convenience. Code two is urgent. Like so like, you know, go go to this place urgent yeah. or go to it at your convenience. Code three is emergency lights and siren. So like get their ASAP right. and fucking blast your shit. And code four is no further assistance needed. So it's like you just <laughs> cancel out but so she said code two urgent which i looked at that and then i looked to see when he pulls up is he using his siren and stuff and he is not mm-hmm. but he goes straight there so it's like okay mm-hmm. they followed the code yeah. that's it i just just thought that was interesting 
Uh, all right, back at the firefight at the uh, top of Nakatomi Plaza. You know, John McClane's got those all those MP5s shooting like crazy. Is that they're called MP5s? Yeah. Okay, cool. I played Call of Duty twice. <laughs> I know things are looking grim for John. So what he has to do is he decides he's going to use the gun strap on his machine gun to climb down the elevator shaft or to, to try and get to an air duct to climb through that. Mm-hmm. To me, this is one of the most unbelievable parts of the movie. Yes. I've always hated it where the gun strap gives way, but he is still able to, he misses the first one. <laughs> and so gravity is taking him, but he is able to somehow then grab the next air duct. Like that is Ninja Warrior level 1000 shit right there. That's, yeah. that's not even like, even though their grip strength wouldn't be able to hold. Like, you, you know, the first grab, but the force of you still falling would have pulled that shit off. Right. So it's that's ridiculous. And I also hated that he loses his machine gun. <laughs> he, by choice, chose to give up his machine gun. Yeah. That seems like a, a weird thing for me at that point. Because here's here is an obvious advantage or something that's, you know, good for you while you're facing other people with machine guns, let me give that away. Now, of course, it works out because mm-hmm. it's a movie and it works out. But for me, I i mean, I would have had to felt like I needed to hold my ground or something. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, there's no way I would have made that. Because also, I always... <laughs> one, last, <laughs> one last little bit. When, like, the, um, the stuntman is falling, you obviously see him hit off the side and then bounce away. And then the next cut, Bruce Willis grabbing onto the air dog. Like, no, no, no. He bounced away from that shit. He wouldn't have had... No way he would have even been able to reach it. Yeah. So, anyway, that was just uh, just my couple minor <laughs> things here. But as this is kind of a superhero movie, if you will, you have to allow a little bit of uh, or suspend your disbelief. Mm-hmm. So, which I'm not good at, obviously, <laughs> in general. All right. So he starts crawling through the air duct. We get another amazing line from him. Come out to the coast. We'll get together. Have a few laughs. Come out to the coast. We'll get together. Have a few laughs. Obviously, just kind of like, you know, working in contrast uh, to the predicament that he's now in. Just kind of like, you know, being sarcastic about whatever the conversation was that he had with Holly about this. Mm-hmm. And then also not not long after that, we get a little quick line where he says, Now I know what a TV dinner feels like. Now I know what a TV dinner feels like. But I'm... <laughs> Hey-o. He should be doing stand-up, this guy. <laughs> so. Carl and his goons then start checking the ducks because they noticed him go in there. Uh, as Carl is checking each one, he's kind of pressing his gun towards the center of the duct, which I thought was a very not a good way of doing it. Because if I was John McClane, I would just start holding myself up with my legs and arms so the thing would push up <laughs> and let him go past me. That seems pretty easy enough. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Although I'm not sure he had the room to do that, but. Yeah, he may not have had the room. Um, and also, even with him in there, it might have made a different sound yeah. or something. And that's what Carl was going for. Yeah. So, uh, but he's making his way towards where John is. Of course, he doesn't know that. Uh, and then basically he gets called away. So he, Carl has to head back because they have to do something next for the plan. Uh, all right. So John then gets away. Uh, Sergeant Powell doesn't notice a disturbance as he kind of rolls by. He talks to the guard who is actually part of Hans's team. You know, he was kind of the place there to divert any distraction. And I say I, he does a good job of making things seem a okay. Mm-hmm. I like that. You know, he just kind of like plays off. Oh, I'm just, man, I'm watching the, the football game, the, the Notre Dame game or something like that. But he's obviously trying to pay attention to what 
the the sergeant's doing but the sergeant's like ah fuck this they ain't done the shit so he starts to leave but john wants to get his attention so he starts to break a window but a guy on the roof hears it and now of course sends some more goons down so john has to kill them and with another solid one-liner uh the guy says this this stupid goon <laughs> who's like shooting at him from the top of a hey, table no. one and a like, goon goon like why don't you just fucking unleash right but he's stupid and he says no more table where are you going pal next time you have a chance to kill someone don't hesitate Thanks for the advice. And so John unleashes his nine uh, millimeter or whatever he's got his his handgun. Is that a nine millimeter? Uh, yeah. It's it's it it looked like a Beretta. I didn't look, but it looked like a Beretta. Is M9, that nine millimeter? M ninety two. Yeah, it's typically nine millimeter. It could have been forty five, but is more than likely nine millimeter. I've heard nine millimeters a thing, so that's exactly why I said that. <laughs> yes, that <laughs> is wasn't. a that is a caliber that exists. It's probably the most common yes. caliber. And that's why I, I knew math wise, it's like. I've heard this more than once. Yes. So that means it must be. A That's also thing. what those MP5 shoots are nine millimeter. Oh, okay. So, oh, so that, so yeah, he's got plenty of, I mean, he can just get all those bullets, use those bullets in, in multiple different rounds and in, in whatever gun he's got. That makes sense. Yeah. That's cool. Now I saw my coworker who's, who's a, a gun guy. He showed me a picture of a handgun that was shooting 50 cal. Oh yeah. I've, like, I've seen that. What the fuck? What the fuck handgun needs to, like, that's going to be. It's that's stupid. What is that? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's insane. That's doing it just to say that you've done it. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> right. Uh, all right. So Powell does start to leave, but John, to get his attention, throws a body perfectly onto the hood of the car. That great aim. A great aim. Uh, and then uh, is also starting to, you know, use a machine gun to shoot at him. All this kind of shit. It seems very dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> I would say like the, any of those bullets could have caught him caught pal oh yeah and, yeah you know, it could have perforated yeah. the car at least the top of the car because the top of the car is pretty thin it could have gone through the windshield like i don't know what he was trying to do it looked like he was trying to kill him he did <laughs> yeah which obviously he was trying to get his attention and he did but we also get maybe the second best line of the entire movie as he's kind of in between <laughs> shooting at the guy we get this honest, honestly it's almost kind of like a random shot of him cut back to him where he's holding the gun up says Welcome to the party, pal. <laughs> but like that line is like a definitive diehard line to me. It's like that's a trailer fucking line. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it gets his attention, to say the least. John then calls Hans on the walkie pretty much just to piss him off. Um, and we also see that John finds some C4 uh, on one of the other guys that he had recently killed. Hans and him kind of have this back and forth. He starts calling him a cowboy. Uh, and then we get. The best line of this movie, <laughs> where once he's called a cowboy, he says, yippee ki motherfucker. yippee ki motherfucker. And he ends that conversation. I, I did look up what was the TV non-bad uh, language <laughs> thing that they say, and they say, yippee ki Mr. Falcon. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> they could have said, like, Mother Trucker or something, or Mr. Trucker right. or something, but Mr. Falcon, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Uh, all right, so we also see uh, a little side story at this point of this um, journalist who's very intent on wanting to get the scoop because he heard over, like, the police walkie. Uh, just a kind of little thing that we'll get more on later. Al Powell then calls the walkie, trying to get the attention of someone who initially called it. 
Um, and now, and so now here we start a relationship between Powell and John McClane, which is going to be uh, defining a, a big aspect of this film, which is it's partly it's it's a big action movie, but it's also partly a buddy movie between these two guys right here. Their dynamic really, I feel, gets us through like this kind of like the, the second portion or, you know, maybe we're in like the, the second third or the, the second and third third of this film mm-hmm. is kind of led by them and, and their relationship. We then meet Dwayne Robinson, the deputy chief, who's this asshole deputy chief. You know, as I mentioned before, played by a guy who assistant Vernon uh, is definitely an asshole. So two two well-regarded asshole actors in this film, in this movie. So also the news team arrives uh, with the other asshole actor, as I mentioned, <laughs> Holly takes some dem- demands to Hans. Um, and I do like, I like this scene because it really shows how good Holly is at business negotiation mm-hmm. and management because she is now kind of the ipso facto leader because Takagi is dead. Um, but so she doesn't enjoy talking to Hans, but she can, and she does a good job of it. Yeah. So we also see that Hans is in her office. I love, and you notice, Holly looks that the picture she put down is still down Mm -hmm. um, because she's worried that they know it's John and they might link them together. And so she is really smart. And so uh, then she's kind of walking out and Hans asks her name and she turns and said, it's Gennaro. And and you see the door things with Gennaro with the spelling that they're so inconsistent Mm -hmm. about, but... Um, but she's, she's she's really fucking smart, and I like that about her. She she's not a damsel in distress. Yeah, I felt yes, she is. Uh, you know, captured and kidnapped at this moment, basically. But I never really feel she's all that much distress, and she 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 knows how to get the situation as good as she can for herself. Yeah. Thornburg's newscast starts, which here Argyle finally realizes the trouble he's in. I do enjoy a line from the deputy chief where uh, he's like. He's talking to to Powell, trying to like be like, dude. There's probably one guy in there. I mean, probably the same nut who's who you've been talking to was the dude who was shooting at you. And even though that's true, <laughs> it's, it's it's kind of funny, yeah. you know. <laughs> so, you know, I, I like that. As us as an audience, we we're in the know on that, but also we know that you know you can't just make that assumption. Um, so I kind of smiled to myself. The police are going to come in. They're using like their SWAT units, and uh, guess what? Hans and his guys are fucking ready. They knew it was going to happen. Damn straight. Like, I, I like how he was like, it was inevitable. You already mm-hmm. know, like, no matter what happens, Hans is in control. I am inevitable. <clears throat> uh, Hans was inevitable way before Thanos. <laughs> do that duel, uh, dynamic duel. <laughs> Thanos versus Hans. Who would win? <laughs> I'm not so sure. <laughs> All right. Um, SWAT, so SWAT's about to head in. And then we get, I think, an awesome, just fun little scene with Al Leong. <laughs> He he's he's getting himself into position, yeah. and he's right above like this little concessions, this little candy, uh, you know, area. Yeah. And he looks down, and he's like, "Oh, you know, he's gonna grab himself some fucking candy." Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. I mean, they do a great. I mean, like a lot of these, and people say this about Marvel a lot, um, but it's because any good action movie knows how to tie in a little bit of comedy, tie in a little bit of drama mm-hmm. along with the action as well, yeah. and they do that perfectly here. So the SWAT team goes in, and they also send in this armored vehicle, and they get lit the fuck up mm-hmm. by some missiles. I do like that Hans was like, just wound them initially, yeah. at least the, the team that was trying to break in through the front door. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think they felt the same about the rocket launcher that they 
Yeah, true. <laughs> they were just like shooting people's knees and stuff with some of the SWAT guys. Yeah. Yes, the rocket launcher seems um, hard to just say, oh, just wound them with a rocket <laughs> right. launcher. Just nick them. Yeah, exactly. But, John, with that rocket launcher, I would say my third favorite line from this movie comes from Theo when he goes, Oh, my God, the quarterback is toast. And the quarterback is toast. <laughs> he doesn't know. Very weird, almost uh, Cosby-esque, you know, inflection. But it's great. Yeah. I mean, it is fun. I mean, it's just a line that I absolutely remember. I think about it's kind of like if I see like a a quarterback get lit up in football, I will say that line the way, you know, kind of in my head. Even like when I was a different thing, just kind of relating it to awesome lines in movies. Even when I played hockey, if somebody took a a, a wild shot and they shot really wide, Mm -hmm. even sometimes just to kind of like fuck with a dude, I would go just a bit outside. (laughs) Just so I'd say it to them as they skated by, and I was just like, ah, fuck you. <laughs> but just, I, God damn it, movies make me happy, man. And I'm not going to lie, watching this movie made me happy. <laughs> so, uh, all right, so John uses some C4. He uh, decides to get to stop the rocket launchers, and he says, Geronimo, motherfucker. And he kicks off, um, he ties it all to like a, a computer monitor yeah. and drops which it. Which I'm not which, really sure what purpose that served. Weight exactly maybe yeah maybe the weight yeah that's got to be to help set it off that that might be the only thing because it wasn't like part of my head is like you know once you unplug it it's not gonna like spark and shit <laughs> so it's not gonna set off that scene right but uh whatever it works and it blows up like basically the entire floor see that I'm not an explosives expert mm-hmm. but that seems like an excessive explosive for one brick of C four. And I feel like even like looking at the scene, you can kind of see multiple charges go off when you're watching, when right. you're actually seeing it, you know, on the on the on the wide angle. Yeah. So yeah, the probably I agree. Unless there was some sort of big giant propane tank at the bottom of the elevator shaft. <laughs> yeah. Man, that was it, John. I have no idea. But. I don't know. So at this point. Ellis decides to do a little bump of coke uh, and then realizes, you know, that he needs to talk his way out of this shit. He says this awful line. Hey, Sprickensy talk. Huh? Hey, Sprickensy talk. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> which means, do you speak talk? <laughs> God, what a tool. He, Fucking tool. He, he plays. God, he plays. I'm, I'm, he's one of the people that we cast. And uh, I, I think he, I, he was tough for me to cast. I'm not going to yeah, lie. Yeah, he kind of was for me, too. So, uh, all right. So he talks with Hans and he thinks he's hot shit. He goes a line that actually I say pretty often enough. Hans, Bobby, I'm your white knight. <laughs> he's trying to like, you know, he thinks he's smarter than Hans and boy, is he fucking yeah. wrong. He basically tells them that he can give them the guy who's been fucking their shit up. Ellis seems like the kind of guy who in every business dealing that Holly did, mm-hmm. he took credit. Yeah. I, I don't disagree. He is, definitely has that vibe to him. Yeah. Uh, we then get a cute little talk about the ingredients of Twinkies between <laughs> John and Pal, which is fun. It's just cute. It just kind of builds their relationship. Yeah. Hans now knows that his name is John McClane because Ellis told him. Ellis then kind of takes the walkie. And this is actually a line I probably say maybe more than anything else <laughs> where he goes, hey, John boy. Hey, John boy. I actually say that often enough because my brother's name is John. <laughs> Really? So, yeah. Maybe I'll meet this guy. That's one day. you. Oh, that's me. Exactly. Hey, that's you. I'm John Boy. Uh, so I go, John Boy, <laughs> just like <laughs> Ellis. I love it. He try. Ellis tries to negotiate 
but that shit does not go well. No. And he gets fucking killed. It was an, kind of a noble attempt. At least he didn't yeah. at least he didn't sell out Holly. Yes. But like it was not it was not well thought out. It was it was definitely Coke uh fueled. Yeah. He loved his Coke. And I actually noticed he also got a Coke, a drinking Coke, while he was on Coke uh doing his deal. So I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> so. Gotta get in that product placement. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, all right. Hans then calls the police on the walkie and he has his demands for certain people to be released, playing up the terrorism thing. Uh, just some random people love the line. I read about them in Time magazine. I read about them in Time magazine. Just he's so fucking smart. And guess what? I love him for it. Yeah. <laughs> like by the time I've seen this movie, we've both probably seen this movie. God damn near a hundred times. It feels like that. Yeah. You, we are past the point of Hans Gruber is just a villain that part of the time I'm fucking rooting for him exactly. because, he, because he's I'm so like, awesome. I, I Part of me wants to see him pull this off. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, maybe they changed it this time. Maybe Hans gets away. <laughs> and because he's, he's that awesome that you kind of want it to happen. Yeah. Uh, the FBI arrives. It's Agent Johnson and Johnson. <clears throat> no relation. So now they're in charge. Uh, Hans goes to look uh, for the bombs. Uh, while he sends Carl's to go, Carl to go find the de- the detonators. I always love the way he said detonators. <laughs> we must have the detonators. While he's looking, you know, for like the charges and all that kind of stuff, he runs into John. Hans is obviously quick on his feet, and he acts as like a that he was a hostage who's escaped right away. Mm-hmm. And John seemingly believes him. Yeah, his accent's pretty fucking spot on. Yeah. Uh, so he tells him that he's a cop from New York, gives him that information. Hans sees that he has no shoes. That again, that's going to be something that'll happen very soon. It'll come back. Uh, Hans uses the name Bill Clay, which they then give us like a little unnecessary shot, but I like it because it again further shows the intelligence of Hans because they cut to okay, Bill Clay is an actual person who works in this office. Yeah. So just in case uh, John McClane happened to know or saw something, he'd he'd still kind of have that legitimacy. Mm-hmm. John hands him a gun, which Hans. Uh, then now thinks he's got the upper hand, so he starts talking German on the walkie-talkie, just trying to like, okay, I'm, I've got this guy. But of course, the gun isn't loaded. John McClane's not that fucking dumb either. <laughs> so they have a little face-off, but Carl and the others get to the floor before John can kind of take care of Hans. A gunfight ensues. A great scene here. This is probably like, I don't know, one of the best action scenes in the movie, this little section. Uh, Hans says, She stayed Fenster. Which is really weird because he speaks German to Carl, who is a fluent German-speaking yeah. guy. And he says, she's Steinfenster. And then Carl's like, huh? And as opposed to being more adamant in German, he says, shoot the glass <laughs> in English as if he'll understand the English better than the German. Now, granted, Fenster does technically mean window, not glass. Mm-hmm. I always thought that was, you know, I just, just flexing. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um... But anyway, they shoot the shit out of the glass in the in the windows because Hans knows that John doesn't have any shoes. And so uh, at one point, Carl throws a flashbang, and obviously John used this to run out of there with his now bloody feet. And uh, the, but the bad guys got their detonators back, um, so his feet are all fucked up. Uh, Carl's pissed off that he still hasn't taken care of the guy who killed his brother. We get a, I think it's a cute little moment here where Holly's like, He's still alive. Only John can piss off someone like that, <laughs> which is so cliche. But also, I I thought it was adorable. Yeah, because <laughs> she knows because she's 
She's been pissed off like that from John. <laughs> also shows, I think, kind of shows how smart she is. Yeah, she, yeah, very true. Yeah, she can she can ascertain stuff. She can read a room. Mm-hmm. Unlike Ellis. Unlike, <laughs> yeah, fucking idiot. <laughs> uh, all right, so Al and John do some more talking. Uh, we learn about uh, a little about Al Pal that he had an accident. He shot a kid. That means even Ray Charles can shoot and not hit a kid, <laughs> but not but not Al Pal. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> hey oh <laughs> That was harsh. Uh no, I wasn't even gonna make that. It just came to me thinking about Argyle. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, he shot a kid, which um is why he's not really kind of typically on patrol. Uh so then we find out that Hans has got his plan to open the last lock, which is fucking brilliant. Yeah. He's gonna use the FBI's playbook against them, which is their plan against terrorism is to shut off power to kind of intimidate the people who you know the terrorists hans knows if all the other locks you know you know when power is shut down that magnetic seal automatically opens and where the other locks would probably still keep it in place they're all opened and so that is the final step Mm -hmm. to opening the vault we see the FBI, the FBI doing this. Uh, they have a little electrician guy who's down in the sewer or whatever, who is played by Rick Dukoman. Dukoman? I'm going to go with Dukoman. Okay. We've seen him before in Groundhog Day, Spaceballs, The Burbs. He's a good little funny kind of like comedic character actor. So I, I enjoyed seeing him here for this. Okay. Then the power shuts off and it turns off the magnetic light. And then I'm going to let the music guy talk about this absolutely gorgeous you know, just sequence. This is the best use of the uh, the Ode to Joy I've ever seen in a movie. Merry Christmas. I agree, and it's a it is a massively popular piece of music. It's from Beethoven's Ninth yep. Symphony. It's part part of his Ninth Symphony, and you know it's it's usually reserved for things that are you know celebratory or kind of an, maybe angelic. Uh huh. And you would associate it with something like with the good guys, but here they use it with the bad guys, like their accomplishment, yeah. and I think that's just fucking brilliant. Yeah, I mean seriously, I'm like. Fuck yes, way to go. You opened the vault. It makes you want to celebrate with the yeah. with the fucking bad guys. Yeah. It's amazing. Um so yeah, I mean things are going wonderfully to Han's plans and they just like gleefully are throwing these fucking bearer bonds, you know, putting them stacking them up. There's all this, you know, some some samurai armor and other shit too. I like that he plinks it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's good. So, John finds some C4, uh, which is set to blow the roof at this point. So, he realizes what's going on, that, you know, they're going to fucking blow the roof. Some shit's going to happen. But Carl finds him right at this moment. He kind of puts his big gun. Do you know what Carl's gun is? Yes. That is a Steyr Aug. That is an Aug. Okay. We've seen that We've seen that gun before. Uh, yes. Uh, Aug means, it, it's A-U-G. And I forget uh-huh. exactly what it means, but it's a, it's a very uh, famous, I believe Steyr is... Austrian, don't hold me to that. Okay, gunmaker. But you've seen them in a hundred eighties movies. Um, they're yeah. very, uh, they're very popular. Oh, I believe we saw them in Running Man because that's yeah, the gun that, that was the one that uh, Arnold uses in that one. 
it's a very interesting firearm and one that I've always wanted. I'll never be able to get one because they only sell them in, in fully automatic. Actually, no, that's mm-hmm. not true. They do make semi-automatic versions, but they're very expensive, mm-hmm. so they're not easy, not necessarily easy to get. But I've it's just one I I love the look of it. I've always wanted one just just to say it, just to say I have one. It is inter- definitely an interesting look. Yeah, it's a bullpup design, which means that the uh, the round is chambered behind the trigger instead of in front of the trigger, like in a like in an AR-15, like you would have now. Okay, so Carl, as opposed to just blowing John's <laughs> head off right there, I don't know why. My only thought is maybe he was afraid of shooting the C4. Here, here's my thought on this, and I thought they did a pretty good job setting this up. Yes, I I, I feel like you know it was not the smart move. But I think they do a very good job of setting up how much Carl wants revenge. Yeah. Because every time that Carl has to chase after him, he's like, he's disobeying Hans. He's done that multiple times, but only when it's related to finding John. Mm -hmm. I think it really just came down to his sense of revenge and how personal he wanted to make this um, because of how personal he felt about his brother being killed. And I don't know if they've, if they, you know, we don't know if. They found out how Tony was killed, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because it was a very intimate way that Tony was killed. You know, they were hand to hand. Um, So my only thought is, is like he sees this as a complete personal vendetta and he's going to take his time and enjoy this, which it ultimately is his downfall. Yeah, John, if somebody killed you, I'd probably, you know, I'd take an og, but then I'd want to kill him with my own hands. Would you do would you do that somebody would you kill somebody with their, your own hands if they offed me? Uh, I think it depends. Okay. How big are they? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, if they were if, what if they're like a child size. What if it was like a little person who killed me? Would you would you attack them? I I, mean, I want to say yes, but yeah. I, you know, it's it, well, it's got to be weird in the situation. <laughs> All right. It's situational. You heard it dependent. first. John would kill little people. Oh, Jesus that's Christ, a jo- I'm just kidding. I'm just making a joke. <laughs> I'm a terrible person. Everyone listening to this podcast knows that by now. <laughs> All right. I do it for the funny. Uh, so obviously Carl and John have a little brawl here. Um, and so the side story of that asshole journalist is now starting to tie in. Mm-hmm. Thornburg talks to McLean's kids, which now that Hans has seen John, knows that, you know, they're they're talking to... Uh, their mother, Holly, and whatnot. Uh, and so he pulls up the picture that was set down and realizes, oh, shit, Holly is married to this guy, you know, the cowboy. Um, and so now he takes her hostage. Carl and John fight. At some point, John gets shot in the shoulder. Um, I did notice at one point during their fight, Carl tried to judo chop. Yeah. Did you? <laughs> he does like a legit judo chop, which John deflects. Yeah. But I'm like, Seriously, Carl? A fucking judo chop. It was the 80s. <laughs> yeah. So, but ultimately, John hangs Carl, um, you know, from, I guess, like the elevator or some, some not some just open area with uh, a chain. Kind of strangles him or, you know, kind of, um, he's, he's hanging him. So, mm-hmm. I want to call out a line from the Johnsons as they're riding in the helicopter here, you know, trying to do their little shoot people and who they're, they're trying to think they're awesome. Yeah. The older... Johnson says, it's just like Sag- Saigon, hey, Slick. And the younger guy was like, I was in junior high, dickhead. And yeah. it just it always kind of came off as a funny line to me. I do like that their their um, their character names are Big Johnson and Little Johnson. 
Yeah. That's what they are in the script. That's funny. And Big Johnson is played by Robert D- uh, Davy, Davy. I don't know who I yeah, think was one, a- one of the Fratellis in, uh, yes! in uh, the it. Goonies. Yeah, he was one of the Fratellis. Very cool. John then tries to scare people off the roof because Hans sent all the people up there. Obviously, part of his plan, he tries to scare them. Um, but the FBI think he's a terrorist because he's shooting a gun in the air, trying to get them to move. And so they start shooting at him. And uh, the people obviously do run at this point. John decides he's going to tie a fire hose around his waist and jump off of the fucking roof. <laughs> that is his thought on saving himself. Yeah. I don't understand that logic. Cra- crazy uh, crazy times call for crazy actions. Yeah. And, I mean, this is probably the most crazy slash iconic single action that he does in the movie, I think, mm-hmm. is that jump. And it's a great, awesome shot. Hans now blows the roof because he sees people coming, which now the Johnson's helicopter is toast. <laughs> uh, so they're fucked. Um, and we just get that action cum shot. I don't know what else to call it. The action cum <laughs> shot of fucking John McClane jumping the fucking flames of the explosions behind him as he's jumping off and he gets to the window, but he can't break through. So he has to push off, shoot it. And then he breaks through. But then that's not even the last of it. The fucking hose and the thing that was holding the hose is now dragging him down. So he has to untie it real quickly, which he does. Holy shit. That was what a (laughs) sequence, man. That was drama action filled. Heart is beating. Yeah. And tying a little bit of comedy here, Deputy Chief Robinson says a fun little line. We're going to need some more FBI guys, I guess. We're going to need some more FBI guys, I guess. <laughs> hey oh, Nobody likes the FBI in this. <laughs> no, hell no. They kind of come in and just start being assholes to yeah. everybody. So, uh, John, we've realized, has two bullets left in his pistol. Oh, fuck. Argyle now has his own little, like, hero moment at this point. Mm-hmm. He sees Theo doing his thing and so he crashes his car into the emergency medical we kind of see their escape plan was to go out as an emergency ambulance yeah which is really fucking smart see this is where i I kind of had like a false memory because to me i for some reason thought it had been a little while since i'd seen this movie and maybe i just didn't really pay attention to what was going on in this particular scene for some reason i had it in my head that it was the truck that they drove in on that Theo was backing up. Uh-huh. And it wasn't until this time when I noticed that it was an ambulance and that he was in an ambulance uniform. Yes. Which, because for a while I was like, if he can blow the roof, how is he still going to get out of the, how are they still planning on getting out of the, but now it totally makes sense. Um, yeah. And I, I kind of had one of those, I think, false memories of what it was he was actually driving in that scene. So the limo smashes into that ambulance and with like one little, Punch from 12-year-old Argyle, Theo goes out like a punk. I'm like, I'm kind of disappointed in Theo right now. Well, Theo was like the least physical out of all yeah. of the Yeah. Out of all the He guys. was the hacker. He yeah. was the nerd. So fair enough. John now confronts Hans with a, I think, a great Hans. <laughs> kind of yell. He even says, hi, honey. Hi, honey. As he's talking to Holly, who has a gun to her head. Uh, John throws his gun away. Because, but we see he has got his pistol with his two bullets taped to his back. Mm-hmm. He's kind of got his hands behind his head, waiting for his moment. And he grabs it amidst them all kind of laughing in this weird, awkward moment. Grabs it. He shoots Hans. He shoots the other guy. And Hans starts to fall out the window. It's epic. But he's clutching onto Holly's wrist. And what the fuck does she have on his on her wrist, John? It's a Rolex. 
It's, <laughs> thanks, Ellis. It's a fucking Rolex. John then releases the Rolex, and Alan Rickman gives the fall face of a lifetime. Oh, classic. Classic. Yeah. Uh, I would say kind of famously, Rickman was apparently told he was going to be dropped on three, but the stunt coordinator had his guys drop him on one. So they were counting down and they told Rickman was expecting it to be three, but they dropped him on the count of one instead. So that's like a legit surprise face Mm -hmm. on on Alan Rickman right there. So it's kind of cool. You got to do what you got to do to get the shot. Absolutely. Hans falls to his death from 30 stories. We actually see the fall. It's scary. And uh, bear bonds fall all over like snow. <laughs> kind of. I think it's, I mean, obviously mimicking, mimicking snow here at this moment. Right. If it was me, I'd be grabbing that shit up. <laughs> Each one was $100,000 and they're bearer bonds. So whoever is bearing them gets that money. So grab that shit and get the fuck out. <laughs> that's what, if I was Sergeant Al Pal, that's what I'd be doing. Yeah. So the report, the reporter gets back. John and Holly then get to the bottom floor. He sees Al, and they have a real moment of respect and embrace. Mm-hmm. And then I always had a problem with this scene. <laughs> Tell me if you did too. I, I had a problem with the uh, well. First of all, I thought I, I I was sure we established that he was dead. It sure as hell felt like it. Yeah. And even if not, if they were pulling him out. Why would they keep his goddamn gun in his hand? Like I, I mean, some unless I mean unless he came out with the blanket on and nobody checked. Yeah, it it, it does seem a little far fetched. No, because I mean he was yeah he he was like on like a stretcher or something that like or whatever it was, and then all of a sudden yeah Carl's alive again. Oh, Carl, <laughs> Carl's a zombie. Um, <laughs> but he comes back and he's got a fucking gun. Now I do like this redemption shot. Yeah, that that Al Powell has. Because it's his, it's his arc. We get it. We get his story coming around. He shot that kid. He hasn't been able to use his gun or like mentally, he's it's scared him. He from that trauma, from that trauma. But here, he shoots Carl and saves everybody. Saves John. Yeah. Saves all those people. I just hate that it was Carl kind of coming back to life because it seemed very established he was dead. Yeah, it felt like it. So. Yeah, but I yeah I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree that uh, it was it was nice that they that they gave they concluded everybody's arc. Yeah. Or everybody's arc who needed to be completed. I, I agree. Um, so, yeah. And, and they, as we mentioned, things come back around and they get good closure. That picture thing had closure. The feet thing kind of had closure. The uh, wristwatch, the Rolex had closure. So they do a really good job of like, if something's brought up, you're going to get a payoff later. Mm-hmm. So um, our old Argyle busts through the gate, which I don't know why he, he could have just done that at any time, apparently. <laughs> But here's where he finally decided to to do it. I also don't know why the cops didn't start shooting when that happened. Yeah, because <laughs> I was. It seemed a little abrupt and violent, and then and all of a sudden everyone was just kind of scared, but nobody did anything. Yeah, Holly punches the journalist. He was trying to give her an interview. She punches him. Ha ha ha. And the McLeans get into the limo. Christmas music starts playing, and the movie ends. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. John, I'm going to give you first words as you are older. (laughs) Tell me about your thoughts on Die Hard. And I'm kind of curious. Now, I don't imagine you watch this with your kids because it's rated R. It's got its issues. Have they seen like a TV edit of this movie by chance? No. No. Okay. All right. Well, then for you. Tell me about you. Tell me about like, I actually, we did something we didn't really bring up was how did we first come to Die Hard? 
I don't even know if I remember. I don't remember. I, other than I, we probably saw it on television. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure I saw the TV edit long before I saw the full edit. It's fucking Die Hard. If you don't like this film, what are you doing? Or if you've never seen the... First of all, if you've never seen this film, how did you make it far into this <laughs> podcast without pausing it to go see it? Because, I mean, we're just talking about how awesome it is. Every time... It, Die Hard's one of those movies where I'm like, oh, yeah, it's Die Hard. It's a good movie. And then when I see it, I get all up into it and like all excited. And every time I'm like, oh, that's such a good movie. I kind of forget how good it really is until I watch it again. Uh, I wholeheartedly agree. I actually have a friend who I have a uh, an ongoing battle with. Um, he says that Die Hard 2 is the best movie of the franchise. And oh, I want to. Oh, shit. Exactly. I do not care for Die Hard 2. I'm not saying it's a bad movie, but honestly, I think Die Hard 1, and then to me, it's Die Hard with a Vengeance, then Die Hard 2. To me, that's the order. But but still, there's a big gap between Die Hard and Die Hard with a Vengeance in mm-hmm. my eyes. This movie is phenomenal. It may be a perfect movie. Yeah, I'll make some fun of things about it, but like as an action film and as just a film in general, it's, it's damn near flawless. Alan Rickman, his performance is unstoppable. Mm-hmm. Because of this movie, he became, you know, I mean, granted, no, he created the, you know, he created this character and he did that. But, like, he, he became one of, like, the all-time great actors. Yeah. Partly, not just because of this film, but obviously because of Snape and because of a ton of different roles that Alan Rickman has done. Yeah. But, like, the dude was goddamn amazing. And actually, I, I, I don't know if we brought this up before, but weren't you with me? At the um, when we when we were went to Hollywood Babylon live a podcast it was a podcast that we're both fans of mm-hmm. I, at least at least I know I was there I think you were there with me where it was like the week after Alan Rickman passed and so it was Kevin Smith and uh, Ralph Garman and Kevin Smith they they have a section where they talk about actors who died Kevin Smith was talking about Alan Rickman because he was he did Dogma with Alan Rickman. Mm-hmm. Just the emotion and just talking about how genuine of a guy Alan Rickman was, it was like making the entire room kind of well up a little bit. I don't, so. I wasn't, I don't think I was there for that one. I know I was there okay. for another one. I might, I might have been there with my buddy Jonathan then instead yeah. of with, uh, with you. So I remember hearing that episode though. Yeah. It was definitely, it was uh, emotional. Emotion. Yeah. Yeah. Without question. Um, Bruce Willis. This began his career as an action star. He was like a comedy TV guy yeah. before this. It's kind of like how it's kind of like what Batman did for um yeah, for, yeah Michael uh, Keaton. Michael Keaton. Definitely. Um so and and honestly, this is the movie that Bruce Willis is absolutely most famous for. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, he was in some movies that made more money like Armageddon and other stuff like that, but he will forever be John McClane and is because of this role and his acting in this one is phenomenal. Yeah. He just he was great. Seriously, it's amazing watching it again. It's it has great rewatchability. Mm-hmm. You know, I I feel like I'm getting filled with action, drama, comedy, the dialogue that you can kind of re-listen to and kind of nitpick at some stuff and be like, oh wow, that's that's you know I missed that line or here's some other stuff that I'm really picking out at. Like all of this gave me like this warmth about this is how movies should be fucking done. Yeah. This is it, man. They did a very so. good job, I think, of even though the movie is is set in the 80s and you get a little bit of that, it still feels timeless. Yeah. It still feels like any it, this could happen at any point. It could have happened at any point in time. And I, I think 
this movie will live on for decades, if not centuries to come. Uh, wholeheartedly agree. I mean, what else can you say? It's fucking diehard. Yeah. All right. Now we are going to the other end of the spectrum on quality, and we're going to talk the Star Wars holiday special. Do we have to? Uh, this. <laughs> <laughs> no, fuck it. Let's. I mean, if we've talked long enough on Die Hard. We're just going to end the episode. No. No. We have to do this. We. I did all that prep. You did all that prep. <laughs> I watched the whole thing. Could you get through the whole thing? I forced myself through the whole thing. <laughs> okay. Sort of. Did you? I would have liked to see if you like clockwork oranged your kid because who's also a star wars fan into watching this and be like see it wasn't always great <laughs> no Something. I, in fact no. i didn't i didn't make them watch it in fact my wife purposely left the room the second she found out what i was watching she like literally <laughs> turned around and walked out the door oh wow and then my kids kind of came in to ask stuff and looked at what i was watching and i think my daughter stayed the longest at about five minutes and then she was out <laughs> Uh, all right, so yes, the Star Wars Holiday Special it came out in 1978, so only one year after Star Wars was released. Huge hit, obviously. Uh, so this is a TV special. It came out on CBS. It's such a 70s thing to do as well, oh, to yeah. have some sort of like weird holiday <laughs> special for a movie. Yeah, it does feel that way. Uh, it does star the main cast of the original Star Wars, so Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Peter Mayhew, James Earl jo- Jones, uh, and Anthony Daniels. But it did not mention Kenny Baker. He kind of got the snub. <laughs> yeah, he did. Because they were like, R2-D2 as R2-D2. Like, yeah. what happened <laughs> to Kenny Baker? And that's like right after they acknowledged that Anthony Daniels was C-3PO. Yeah. So it's like, fuck. Uh, and as you mentioned earlier, it also has B. Arthur as uh, Ekmena uh, as one of the characters, Harvey Corman, and then also Je- Jefferson Starship and some other people. Yeah. This special if anyone doesn't already know, is notorious for it's just uh, the shit reception yeah. and this the other uh, the utter just awful quality that it's received and that that it is yeah. that it has never been rebroadcast nor has it been officially released on DVD or Blu-ray or, or video cassette or anything. Literally, they showed it that one time and they were like, "Fuck! I hope everybody forgot about that." <laughs> nope. <laughs> Uh, but the one time that it did air, it reportedly re- reached about 13 million homes, which is a that's a not sub, you know not insubstantial. No, well, I mean, nobody knew it was going to be bad. They're like, oh god, it's Star Wars. It was the biggest thing ever. We're going to watch it. I wonder how many people like actually made it all the way through. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I wonder how many people made it through the first 20 minutes where there is no dialogue, nothing but fucking chupa or just <laughs> Wookies just <laughs> doing some grunts. They don't even put like subtitles. Yeah. Oh. There's nobody Jesus. there to kind of like, you know, at least when he's when Chewie's talking to Han, you you get the back and forth so you can kind of get the gist of what yeah. Chewie's saying. <laughs> yes. This was just and the fucking names. Oh my god. Oh. Lumpy? Yeah, Lumpy is the kid. Lumpy is Chewie's kid. Itchy is his father. Father. And then Mala Mala's is his the wife. only like decently yeah. named like yeah. Wookiee name. Itchy and Lumpy. Jesus Christ. So yeah, the the segments on this uh, on this special are kind of loosely tied together, all about the celebration of Life Day, 
which is, you know, a apparently Wookiee big holiday. Kind of it's almost like Thanksgiving and Christmas tied into one. Uh, and basically Chewie trying to get home to celebrate with his family. Mm-hmm. Now, we do see his family, as you mentioned, for like the first 20 minutes, them just doing shit around the house. <laughs> this is the first viewing and mention of Kashyyyk, mm-hmm. the planet that uh, Chewie is from. I mean, obviously, this is a, a famous world in the Star Wars universe. But yeah, we just get... God, we get weird shit. Like, I, I just, I don't know what to do with myself after watching, like, that first bit. Like, it made no goddamn sense. And the look of Itchy and Lumpy and Mala was really strange. Oh, yeah, it was weird. They were off. Like, Itchy had, like, this, he was the grandpa, but they kind of, like, made him have, like, no teeth. Right. And so his mouth moved a little bit weirder than everybody <laughs> else's. One of the things that I think disturbed me the most was Stan Winston was used to design the Wookiee family. He came in and worked on this. This 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 still feels like um, interference from the network. It, yeah, probably. But like this is this has got to be Stan Winston's worst work ever. Yeah. The other so the other Wookiee suits. One thing I did find the other Wookiee suits were made a lot cheaper than Chewbacca's because obviously, yeah, yeah. Chewie, you know, he was um he was he was made you know for the movies and whatnot, and so theirs was just made. But it, ultimately, it made them like damn near death traps. <laughs> so the actors could only be inside the suits for about twenty minutes before they started overheating and needed to rest, get fluids, and in some case, they needed oxygen because Ugh. it was so fucking hot in those suits. Jeez. Yeah, I do want to mention that uh, you're caught up on Mandalorian, right? Yes. Uh, except for today. I haven't seen today's it's, episode. I haven't either. Okay. Uh, and I'm actually probably going to, well, no, I'll probably watch it tomorrow. Uh, but anyway, Life Day was brought up in season one, I believe, of The Mandalorian. Yeah. So this like kind of makes this shit almost canon. At least makes Life Day canon as a, as a legit thing. Right. Kind of funny. I, I just like, uh, I mean, The Mandalorian does fan service right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it just kills it. And I'll bring up, actually, The Mandalorian again a little bit later. Uh, All right. We also get, like, some scenes. uh, Was it strange to you when Mark Hamill came on? His hair was so blonde and his eyes were so blue. I was like, what the hell? You're not not Luke Skywalker. You look a little extra Aryan to me. Was that was that just me? Yeah. Also, you could you could clearly see his makeup. Now, yeah. it was not designed to be broadcast on a television that was much higher resolution like the ones we have now. Yes. Than, as opposed to the ones that they had in 1978. So, for the I'm sure for 1978 televisions it made sense, but like him and Leia, I could totally see all of their makeup. <laughs> yeah. Man, like I, I, I'm not going through all of the different storylines and yeah. all that kind of stuff because we already did a full breakdown of Die, of Die Hard. There's so many weird storylines that I don't even know if I know where to start. Um, I mean, we about, can't we uh, can talk about that. This this is essentially the introduction to Boba Fett. It is all right. Yes, it is Boba Fett. Legit. Well, he wasn't like fully obviously formed or anything. He started off in a cartoon, mm-hmm. and a lot of people think that's probably the best part of the movie, and it probably is. Yeah, it's still not. Great. Good. <laughs> yeah, not, not even good. Um, but yeah, so this introduced Boba Fett to the whole world. He appears, obviously, in Empire uh, Strikes Back, coming out later, and then uh, Return of the Jedi, and then obviously comes back that we find later. So Boba Fett in this film uses, 
I think is what it's called a Niffle rifle, which is the same rifle that Din uses, the Mando uses in the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. I thought that was super cool. Like, obviously. And that was on purpose. Yeah, you could tell, absolutely. There's no way that John Favreau didn't, like, say, or, you know, or, or Dave Filoni be right. like, hey, we're going to pay a little fan service to your, the, the Mandalorian origins, honestly, which is Boba Fett. Um, who's not even Mandalorian, um, but like that, that, they pull out that rifle, which I love season two. I am upset. He has not used that rifle once, the disintegrating <laughs> rifle once in season two. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, fucking bring that shit back. I loved that. I just learned today that in October of next year, uh, Nerf is releasing a version I of s- that. I will yeah. fucking buy in it. I see it's like 120 bucks. I don't care. Oh my God. Corey Corey sent me the picture of that. Oh, I'm an adult with adult money and I will be spending it (laughs) on a fucking nerf Mandalorian thing. I don't give a shit. Yes. Yes. So, um, yeah, the, the, the Boba Fett stuff is cool because it's Boba Fett. Mm -hmm. The, it's very trippy style of animation. It's a weird style of animation. Yeah. You'll first meet Boba Fett where he's riding a dinosaur. Like, like this dinosaur alien thing. It's like, what the? I mean, one, it shows dude's a badass. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also really fucking weird. Yeah. Um, we also get a weird-ass scene where Lumpy is watching, like, this instructional video for this machine that he's playing with. Yeah. And that goes on for, like, five minutes <laughs> for no fucking reason. Like, they were obviously just, like, eating up time with anything. Yeah. Like, they had... Nobody like they're like, hey, janitor, do you want to write a scene? And he's like, oh, I, I was reading this instruction manual. I guess I'll just put that into a thing like nothing really ties together. Nothing makes any fucking sense. You know what? This also needs a musical guest. I was going to say this. I was going to just go there. Sorry. Oh, my God. The songs are so bad. Yeah. First, the first song that we get, the father itchy is watching like this porn hologram <laughs> of Diane Carroll. And Diane Carroll is singing like this weird song. How can we ever lose this minute? From all my life I choose this minute. I will give up the old and the new. Sharing with you this minute now. not even just singing the song she's like also like talking very sexually like all while the dad is like being a fucking creeper it's kind of (laughs) strange and then as you mentioned uh earlier uh jefferson starship Mm -hmm. has a song which also they're the best band easily but that song's not good (laughs) but they're singing And then the person who you think would obviously need a, a musical section, B. Arthur gets a song. <laughs> She's, I've never, I don't, I've never once seen her like, you know, in Golden Girls start singing or whatnot. And probably for good reason, because she's definitely not like a, you know, big old awesome singer in this one. Just one more round, friend. Then homeward bound, friend. Don't forget me in your dreams. Just one more song, friend, and then so long, friend, 
the nights get shorter it seems just one more rhyme friend. i will say he plays like a a, a bartender i, w- or I was gonna say like i will say b arthur is a bartender in the star wars universe that yeah. makes sense to me yes i agree with that it just they did a shit job writing it <laughs> yeah so uh and then also to round things out carrie fisher also gets a shitty ass song <laughs> If anybody is needing to watch this, don't. don't spend any money anywhere. Don't buy whatever, you know, some bootleg. It is on YouTube. The entire hour and a half. Yes, waste an hour and a half of your life watching this. I don't have anything else really to say. Like, this thing is a shit show. It is. Without question. Yeah. Seriously, nothing makes sense. It has terrible structure. The whole storyline of, of Chewie getting there and Han, everybody is phoning it in. Yeah. Everybody. I'd say maybe even more so than anyone uh, Harrison Ford. Yeah. Like, it's just awful. And and, and all the actors, like, in, in interviews afterwards, like, hate it. And they talk about how much they hate it. And, like, even Mark Hamill is, like, kind of like, yeah, I knew this was a problem from the start, but it was funny or some shit <laughs> like that. Like, everyone knew this was a bad idea. It was a, it was a, it was a payday, and that was it. And they were all contractually obligated to do it uh-huh. from their... Uh, contracts from you know a new hope yeah so they were kind of fucked but like yeah this thing is awful but that being said i do think it's important for any like quote-unquote real star wars nerd Mm -hmm. to watch this trash yeah but only really for like humor reasons do not take this shit and be like and I don't think it's possible to be like, oh, wow, that was really good. That should be canon. Like, I had to watch this and take notes. And so it took extra long for me because at times I had to pause or go back if I needed to watch something again. What I needed was not my computer. What I needed was friends around me to la- who love Star Wars, have some fucking high-proof whiskey, and sit and laugh at this, mm-hmm. you know? Because... It is decent for that. You know, this is not adding anything real quality to the to the Star Wars lore other than it is cool to see Boba Fett's, you know, first conception, to see some of this fan service stuff that you wouldn't really know that the that the that Din's rifle came from this unless you watched it. And so if you are a Star Wars nerd, you will get something out of it. But this thing is so infamous and cringe cringeworthy for a reason. And I think it lives up to that reason. And so I would say if you are an intense Star Wars person, watch it, but only fucking once. This is trash. It easily makes me think that the prequels and sequels are fucking Citizen Kane, like comparatively. (laughs) Like they are utter art. But yeah, I mean, you know what? At the same time, I kind of had a good time, but an hour and a half, it felt like five hours. Yeah. Oh God, it was so slow. So all right. what, What about you? What are your thoughts? I mean, it, I I probably spent more time on my phone, like <laughs> just with this in the background, than I did actually paying attention to it. I, I'm I'm not gonna lie. And it, 
And you probably got as much out of it as even the people who watched it live in 1978. Right. Um, I did. I had. I had no, not high hopes, but I, I. It was like a little a wisp of of hope when I saw Harvey Corman's name because I think yeah. he's a really funny actor. But none he, of he this, played like he, he played. Wasn't he the guy who played like four parts or something? Yeah, he shit played like three that? different characters. Oh my one god! One of which it was, was an obvious ripoff of Julia Child. Oh, um, that was terrible. It, none of it was good. I hate to say. I love Harvey Corman. He's he's great in a lot of uh, you know movies he's in, uh, but this was just complete shit. Yeah, uh, I have nothing else positive to say. <laughs> yeah. about this. Yeah, all all the positive parts are Boba Fett's cool. That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's let's move the fuck on. This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is not brought to you by Star Wars. You and your children loved it. <laughs> Now, the Earthlings at Kenner have asked my associate and me to present the Star Wars Collection. Truly remarkable toys and games for your children. What are you so excited about now? My goodness, the Star Wars TIE Fighter and X-Wing Fighter. Now your children can relive our great space battles or collect our wonderful Star Wars companions with Kenner's Star Wars action figures. R2, it's a little new. Kenner's new radio-controlled R2-D2 anyone can command. Ah, the Star Wars land speeder that moves like it's floating. And here's Kenner's Death Star space station. Four floors of action. A trash compactor, too. Listen, R2. That's the Star Wars electronic laser battle. A game of speed, reflex, and reaction. These and other toys and games in Kenner's Star Wars collection are sold separately. Batteries are not included. May the force be with you and your children. All right, uh, folks, we are going to do the impossible. We are going to attempt to recast Die Hard. And it sounds like you do, too. I think we did the casting justice. I tell you this. I pulled out a whole bunch of A-listers for this one. I did not I did not hold back. I There are some people who I've cast multiple times, I yep. think, and I said, I don't care. I want to make a good Die Hard. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I needed good actors in each part. I didn't care how many times I'd cast someone. So we're gonna do a, a good number of people. Um, we're we're uh, we're and, and we still could have cast like another three or four and been like, yeah, this is that's fine. Well, there's a <laughs> lot of really good characters in in this movie, yes. so it was worth it. So uh, we're going to do John McClane, Hans Gruber, Sergeant Al Powell, Holly Gennaro, Ellis, Theo, Carl, and Takagi. So a number a good number of ones. There's there's some other ones that we kind of you know could have possibly done, but th- this is a good a good start I think of the, of the important mm-hmm. characters to do. Uh, so let's jump. Let's not waste any time. Let's jump right into it. Takagi, uh, Adam, I'm gonna let you start us off. I went to, in my opinion, an absolute amazing Asian actor who I've cast before, and I don't give a fuck. Um, he actually played a role very similar to this, kind of like a highfalutin businessman in the movie Inception. Ken Watanabe. He is the perfect Takagi. Adam, I also went with Ken Watanabe from right to Takagi. I looked Dude. at a few other guys and I saw yeah. his name. I was like, why the fuck wouldn't I cast Ken Watanabe? Exactly. He has done stuff like this and it's, you know, it's not a super big role, but get get someone who is going to nail it. Yeah, and he would. Exactly. I'm, I'm interested to see um, there's at least one other character that we might have a similar casting with. Okay. The other ones I, I think could be anyway. Uh, let's go to Carl. Carl. All right. Uh, I'll jump in with this one. I probably cast a little bit higher than I needed to, but you need someone who I think 
Carl can have like a rich backstory. You just don't have to hear about it, but maybe you just see it in his acting. I just wanted mm-hmm. somebody who had the the look of a Carl, who I you know could could do that role justice and and could probably look intimidating. I went with Mads Mikkelsen. Oh yeah, he definitely has an intimidating. I actually watched Rogue One just yesterday or two days ago. Mm. Ah, he's. I mean, he's just a really good actor. I want to see him in more shit. Same, same with Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah. I was like, fuck, I don't use Ben Mendelsohn enough in my casting. When I, <laughs> when I was watching Rogue One, I was like, I need more of you. Um, yeah, uh, good call. Good call, Mads Mikkelsen. I mean, you can have an older Carl who, like, with I don't even know how old Mads is, but he was still, he would still, he would do it justice. Yeah, he's got, the, he's got the like good, he's got a good pissed off face. Yeah, he does. I think that would he help. Does. All right, who did you go with? Uh, I went. With a, a younger guy, but I went with kind of like the height and size. I was trying mm-hmm. to emphasize the, you know, the threat, the look, the threat looking side of Carl. Uh, so he's kind of a fairly no name. He's been in a couple of the Resident Evil movies. Um, he's Austrian. I also wanted to make sure he would kind mm-hmm. of have the accent. He's six four. He would have that accent down. His name is Boris Kojo. K O D J O E. I mean, and his first name's Boris. Uh, that's very. He can he can speak German if his name is Boris. Well, I guess that's Russian, isn't it? Sounding, but either or. Uh, he is German. Yeah, yeah. He lives in Germany, but I think he was born in Austria. Um, but he's been in multiple like action movie stuff before. Um, yeah, tall enough guy at six four. Yeah. So I think I think he would get the job done. Yeah, intimidating. You know, intimidating enough looking dude. I'm I'm yeah. here for it. Cool. He doesn't have Carl's hair, but that's okay. He doesn't. He's bald. That's okay. That's okay. Give him a fucking wig. Give him a blonde wig even. I don't care. <laughs> that would be epic. Yeah. Uh, all right. Theo. Who did you go with for Theo? I searched around for Theo, and I ended up falling on someone who I think had a very Theo look. Um, particularly if, you, uh, if you've if you ever seen the show The Good Place, he has a very similar Theo look. Uh, and so I just kind of stuck to it. Uh, his name is William William Jackson Harper, and look look in any of his pictures from the Good Place, and he just he comes across as nerdy hacker to me. Oh yes, oh god, what have I I've seen him in something? Uh, he was in Midsummer. I don't know if you've seen that. He looks so familiar. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can't think of. Did you watch the Jacks the Jack Ryan series? No, no. Okay, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not grabbing uh, what I've seen him in. Yeah. Okay. But he, he does have that kind of like nerdy look to him. Yeah. I uh, all right, so I um as I said, I basically went with all like kind of A list okay. A or B list celebrities with with one role exception. Uh, this is not it. I I went with someone, but I did kind of switch up the character a little bit. I wanted to uh, change just a just a couple things. And mm-hmm. with this one, I actually went with a woman. Okay, I think that totally fits. Because uh, it's it's kind of a comedic role a little bit. So I went with a, um, a lady who's done some comedic things. And I'd never seen her do anything like this, but I think it'd be interesting to see her in this capacity. Uh, I went with Mindy Kaling. Oh, yeah, I'd like to see. I mean, she has, definitely does comedy stuff. I could see her doing nerdy stuff too. Yeah, and, cool she, and Theo's a little sarcastic. And I could totally yeah. see her doing that, being like, the quarterback is toast, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so I, it, I felt like it was a good enough one cause it's kind of unexpected. Like she walks mm-hmm. in the front door. You're not immediately thinking that, uh, the man, you know, following her in is going to shoot you. Yeah. So that's a good point. I'm, I'm cool with that. Okay. Absolutely cool with that. Cool. Uh, all right. Ellis, 
This might be the one cast that you may not like, but I kind of had a reason for where yeah. I went with this. I I picked him based on one particular role that he's done recently. I'm going to go ahead and tell you who it is, and then I'm going to see okay. if you can guess what the role was that, that kind of made me think of him in this. I actually went with Chris Evans for Ellis. Ooh. Oh, oh, then it's Knives Out. It was Knives Out, yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of I was like, oh, he's really like kind of skeezy in that. I'm like, oh, you know what? I, I, I want to get I want some of that Captain America scruff back because Ellis got to have that beard. Um, yeah. And you know, it, you know, I mean, yes, Chris Evans is known for doing action and and he's he's a good looking dude and stuff like that. But he doesn't have to fight in this. And I, I think it's mm-hmm. a cool like different. You know, it's completely different from most of the other stuff he's done. It's, yeah. it's slightly different from the Knives Out one, but when I saw that, I was like, oh, you know what? He kind of reminds me of Ellis in a little bit way. And he's kind of the, I mean, he didn't have a huge, huge role in, in Knives Out. I mean, he, he, you know, his on-screen time, I mean, wasn't yeah. huge in that one. Yeah, you're right. So he could probably be fine and, you know, wouldn't wouldn't snuff at a role like that. Right. He'd probably so see I'm it cool as, a, it. as an interesting challenge. At least I'd like to yeah. think so. I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I like Chris Evans. Okay. What'd you so. go with? All right. Uh, I went with... Um, a character that you've seen kind of like, you know, on the side for a lot of stuff. Um, I think most people will probably recognize this guy from um, the Ant-Man movie, but he's done tons of stuff and you'll definitely recognize him if you don't recognize his name. Uh, but I get kind of like, you know, maybe some Coke sniffing guy <laughs> vibes from him. Um, and I feel like he could probably kind of have that Ellis vibe. Uh, I went with Bobby uh, Cannavale or kind of Cannavale. I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but I think it's. Cannavale. How do you spell it? Uh, Bobby and then C A N N A V A L E. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. He plays he's, the he's, like the stepdad. Yeah, the stepdad in Ant Man. In, in but he's been he's been in so many different things. I yeah. feel like it just kind of keep keep he keeps popping up in everything. Yeah, I'm good with that. But he's he's got he's got that vibe. He's yeah. got like a, a skeezy businessman kind of feel. I feel mm-hmm. like he could pull that off pretty well. Yeah, I'm all about that. I like that. All right, cool. That's a good call. Uh, overall, I, I think we're, we've got we've got a, a pretty good cast going on here. I agree. Uh, all right, both of us. Holly Gennaro, 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 whatever you want to call her. <laughs> uh, who did Gennaro. you? Who did you go with? I had some issues at first. Uh, at one point, I almost wanted to go with Melissa Fumero because she's in Brooklyn Nine Nine, and there's this whole kind of like side joke uh, where the main character Jake is in love with the movie Die Hard, and at one point, this actress dresses up as Holly Gennaro and it's like as like a as like a little like you know as a sexy romp thing for her boyfriend mm-hmm. and I was like oh that's hot shit I almost <laughs> want to pick you but ultimately I thought back I really like this actress who I've used a couple times now Holly Gennaro is really smart not only is she like you know the main person's love interest but she can hold her own on things mm-hmm. and and she can definitely she hold her own in intelligence and sarcasm or whatever she needed to and this actress absolutely held her own even though she was like the also the love interest in two movies that I know her best from or two things that I know her best from one being Firefly the other being the Deadpool films she's kind of really great at being a side character but also she holds her fucking own when it comes to in comparison with the main kind of sarcastic person. And I think it fit really well. I went with Marina Baccarin. I think she's great for the role. I am all about that. I love yeah. her and everything. So it, see her in. So it, it just seemed like that. She's kind of played that a similar role. And I think she, she obviously could play like the high class businesswoman. Yeah. She did in Firefly basically. Yeah. Uh, and she's, she's quick. So I think it's great. Yeah. Cool. What about, what about you? Um, uh, you know, Holly Gennaro's a bad bitch. 
So I also went with a bad bitch, uh, especially uh, in her role uh, as Maeve in Westworld. I went with Dandy Newton. I've used her before. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I can That's see her call. in that role, and I can see her giving Han some attitude. She is such a bad... Oh, she's awesome. Dandy Newton is awesome. Yeah. She's so good. Yeah. I remember really kind of being introduced to her in... Um, uh, what was that? Chronicles of Riddick. Oh, okay. That was yeah. the first time I really kind of was like aware of who she was yeah which i never really to me it was probably crash honestly is where the first time i saw her okay myself i was a big fan of crash and then i've gone back and watched it like over the last couple years and i was like and eh, this doesn't hold See, up i've heard that i i have not seen crash since probably around the time it came out and i've heard that from people who've said that yeah. it does not hold up still it does i loved it but you you just kind of break it down and you're just like oh the storytelling is not that good hmm. all right uh sergeant al Powell, critical role uh, yeah. This is the one time I think in my cast I cast someone who you will probably have to look up. Okay. Um, I went with an actor who has been playing not necessarily a cop per se, but definitely a federal agent. Um, in fact, the head of a federal agency um, for the last uh, God knows how many years uh, since this show has been on. I don't know what season they're on right now, but it's like in the high teens. Uh, mm. And I, and I oh, know wow. you love this these kinds of shows, Adam. Uh, I went with the guy <laughs> from NCIS. His name is Rocky Carroll. Uh, okay. I've not, I don't recognize him. NCIS, yeah, he's been on the show for 12 years. Yeah. 294 episodes. Holy Christ. Yeah. He knows that kind of world. Uh, I, I do not know his acting. Yeah. But I'm going to trust you on that one, John. He's great on that show. You know, he's got, he's kind of got a little bit of the Al Powell look. Yeah, he's got the mustache. Mm-hmm. So, or at least he does on NCIS, so. Yeah, I knew I knew yeah. you were gonna know who he was, but I I really think he could work. Yeah. Who'd you go with? Yep. Yeah. All right. So somebody who with uh with Al Powell, you got to be kind of like approachable, mm-hmm. kind a kind face, um, maybe a thicker guy if you want to stick to the look of Reginald Val Johnson. I couldn't once I I kept looking and kept having troubles, but ultimately, eventually, when I got to this guy, I'm just like, fuck, I don't care that I used you for my uncle Buck. Honestly, I think you're probably better suited for my Sergeant Al Pal. So right now, I'm going to take back my <laughs> casting of Uncle Buck. What? Not because I don't think he's bad for that. Because when I re-listened to the episode, uh-huh. you mentioned at one point, oh, I thought you were going to say Craig Robinson. And I cannot get past my head how awesome <laughs> Craig Robinson would be as an Uncle Buck. And so I'm going to decast Keenan Thompson as my Uncle Buck and officially put in Craig Robinson as my official Uncle Buck pick wow. for that role. Hot takes, folks. And I am going to take Keenan Thompson and put him into, I think, a great side role yeah. that he would be great for in Sergeant Al Powell. That's you know, that's not bad. I mean he's he's probably about that age now. He just he yeah, looks super young. So. He does, exactly. But you know what? And, and, put and, a stash on him. Put a exactly give him a stash. And he's you know, Al Powell has a, a young child right now, a pre- or a pregnant wife, and so I like that kind of connection. Yeah. And exactly. I think he just he has a, a good fit. It. Yeah, that, I'm I'm not mad at that at all. I'm a little surprised okay. by the by the change of Harden <laughs> Uncle Buck, but I'm kind of surprised I, I influenced you enough to make you change. You your... you did you chose that, and I haven't been able to get that out of my head. Just being like, damn, Craig Robinson is <laughs> is actually who I want. Why didn't I think of that? Uh, all right, folks, uh, the two people you were waiting for, the two most important people in the room, Hans Gruber, John McClane. Let's start with Hans Bubby. Bub Hans Bubby. Go ahead, Adam. Let's let's hear it. This is going to be the important one. It's really tough, and you cannot beat Alan Rickman. You just can't. But 
I, there were two people who I really liked, and um, I'm not going to mention one of them in case you cast him. But there's a lot of people who would be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this guy, he's played another one of my favorite all-time villains in other films, and he's actually German, and he would do a great job. Um, I went with Christoph Waltz. I think he is an awesome pick for Hans Gruber. That was the other person that I was looking at that I did not go okay. with. Okay, I'd be funny because I had one other person who I was like kind of considering, and if you picked them and didn't do Chris, I'd be curious. That'd be funny. So uh, I I did initially look at Christoph Waltz because I mean I mean in freaking Inglorious Bastards, he's a great, yeah. he's so good as a villain in that. Mm-hmm. You hate him so much. <laughs> you do. But I went with another sort of uh, German pseudo German okay. actor uh, because in the end I was like, you know what? I I kind of still like in my head I'm like, well, you know. Uh, uh, Hans, he's still a fairly relatively younger guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like he's probably in his 30s or maybe at worst his early, early 40s. So I went with a different actor who I think could pull off the same sort of smooth menace mm-hmm. that Hans have. And I will be surprised if you give me any flack for this one. I went with Michael Fassbender. No, of course not. He, he was someone who I actually kind of saw and thought about. Um, but I never like really, really brought it. Mm-hmm. He's a great call too. I think he would do it. I mean, both of them played in uh, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, against each other at one point. Yes, exactly. Great actors. Uh, I think Fassbender is a is a fantastic choice. The other person who I was bringing up is if you wanted to keep it British, I thought Benedict Cumberbatch would be a good choice. He would have been a great choice too. Yeah, so he would have been a I great mean, choice too. Anyway, but yeah, no, I love Fassbender. Great call there. Okay. All right, uh, McLean. I'm gonna go first. Okay. I've used this guy a billion times. <laughs> I don't care. He was the first name that came to my head. You know, who is one of the best, most interesting action stars of today? Mm-hmm. Who do you think it is, Adam? Uh, that you've used? I'm just saying, who do you think is one of the, who do you think is one of the most oh. interesting action stars? Michael, Michael B. Jordan. You know I love Michael fucking, fucking Michael B. Jordan. Jordan. That's who I went with. <laughs> He's, he was on my list. Yeah. I absolutely almost went with him because he is that fucking good. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I didn't want to put him there. Yeah. But at, at the end, I'm like, it's he he's he is that, that he's at that point. He needs to be put in more things than I I feel like, you know, he yeah. needs to be running more franchises. Yeah. he's He absolutely came across my mind. I absolutely considered him. I didn't go with him, but he would nail it on the head. Yeah. I mean, would you would you be mad if you if you saw that in a casting? Take my money. Yeah. Like just absolutely, I will throw it at you so I can watch that movie. Yes. Uh, I went with somebody who I felt I've seen give the uh, John McClane vibes a little bit more mm-hmm. in films, and I think you know maybe it's because he even kind of has a somewhat similar look in some of his things that I've seen him in, uh, particularly Marvel related. He, I think, yeah, he just kind of exudes a John McClane vibe right now, but God, I love Michael B. Jordan too. Anyway, but I, my guy, I really like him. I think he would do a fantastic job and he'd be leading a film, which I think he could do and do a great job. I want John Bernthal. Oh yeah. 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 He just, he, I just get those you, McClane yeah, kind of stuff you get, from you him. Do get, um, that'd be a hell of an R, hard R movie. <laughs> I want it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down. I, I can totally see, um, I can totally see him slipping into that role. Yeah, I think given the choice, a, a studio might go with uh, Michael B. Jordan because he's a oh, bigger name, easily. But yeah. uh, no, I you know what? I think if he was put in that, I think Bernthal would would completely do that role justice. Cool, I'm all for it. I would, John, these are two awesome castings. Yeah, I really think so. 
And and uh, I, I would you know mix and match any of them. I wouldn't be mad with yeah. anybody in any role. Um, Absolutely. I, you know what? With a movie like Die Hard, you got to put a little bit of extra effort. You got to put a little extra money into the casting because mm-hmm. it's, it's got to be awesome. I mean, as long as you're you know the writing's got to be there, obviously, but yeah. the acting's got to be there too. And we agree. As long as you get Ken Watanabe as Takagi, <laughs> we're set. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm glad we at least. I'm glad we had at least one. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right, thank you for uh, hanging on with us this long, folks. This is I knew it was going to be one. a beefy episode, yep. yeah. All right, that was our recasting of Die Hard. Please join us next time for another album review episode. John and Adam go back to their college Athens roots as they review the B-52's album, Cosmic Thing. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. everybody i'm Corey, and i'm zach and we're the hosts of podcasting after dark a cast dedicated to late night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s often found on hbo and cinemax you know the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid you can find us every other week on apple podcasts spotify podbean and stitcher this is what you want this is what you get